Hello, everyone. Um, welcome to the um, uh, Quant Financial Engineering uh, podcast. I have a treat for you today. I got two guests um, uh, looking at a very interesting concept. Uh, it's an old concept, um, covered rate uh, parity, but applied to a new to the new environment. So I have two uh, interesting guests. The first one is a master in financial engineering um, a student graduating uh, soon, uh, Matthew Murray. And I have a co our corporate sponsor, Gaurav Singh. He will introduce himself. Um, I'll go trading, I guess. Uh, that's, his, that's his area. Um, so to no further ado, Matthew, that was your idea. First, let's give us a bit of a background for covered rate parity and you know why why blockchain? Okay, so covered interest rate parity is as you mentioned, is it's I, I've heard it quoted as the closest thing to a physical law in finance, you know, similar to like the law of gravity. Um and the idea behind it is really so typically you see it in international. Um, foreign exchange markets, uh, where you have really deep markets and a lot of brokers and a lot of buyers and a lot of sellers. And what it is, is essentially, it says that the forward and spot prices of currencies are dictated by their interest rate differentials. And really, that's like a, I would call it a, if you had, there's four variables in the equation. Right? There's a forward price, a spot price, and then there's two interest rates. And if you have any three of those variables, you should be able to calculate the fourth variable. Um, in a perfect market where there's uh, no inefficiencies and no arbitrage, the parity condition really should be zero. It should be perfectly, there should be no differential in parity. And so, that's uh, the that's essentially the impetus for the project was to you know the sort of assumption that I had and I think most people people would probably agree is that the cryptocurrency market is not a purely efficient market um, like an international financial uh, currency market is and they have done studies in international uh, foreign exchange markets where covered interest rate parity clearly holds there's you know you can't really arbitrage. There are very few, if any, reasonable arbitrage opportunities that you can take advantage of. However, looking at the crypto market, I found uh, you know, through doing some, some research that there are uh, significant arbitrage opportunities, although I don't know if I would actually call them arbitrage opportunities just because of the structure of the market. It's not necessarily arbitrage, but there is, certainly is, I can say, a, a uh, difference in interest rate parity from zero. That's kind of, I guess, the big takeaway from the research that I that I, you know, was conducting. That, that's kind of my big takeaway. And I, I studied across seven, uh, seven different currencies, so not just Bitcoin, but I looked at Ethereum. I looked at um, uh, I looked at Ethereum. I looked at TRX. I looked at um, BSV. I looked at a uh, few, I looked at Litecoin, um, I looked at a few others, uh, and I did notice that in certain certain currencies, you see pretty wide or fairly consistently large deviations in par from parity. 
uh, and actually less so in the Bitcoins and the Litecoins and the Ethereums of the world. Uh, and it, it's interesting that depending on the time you look at, that condition actually, you know, it, it, it's time variant, I guess, as, as you, you would say. It's, it can change from period to period uh, because it was really much smaller, uh, I would say, before January of 2021. And from from sort of 2021 on, it seemed to widen the the, the deviation from parity. And what's up? And uh, sorry, but uh, before you go further, could you give us a bit of a feel for some of the the, the technology that you used sure. to get to that? Yeah. So basically, I connected to. So the the study was based off of two crypto exchanges, uh, one being OKEX. Uh, for futures data, which I think is the oldest or first futures exchange, if I'm not mistaken, that started trading futures contracts. Um, and it's, I, I'm not sure if it has the most volume, but I, I believe it does. Uh, and it also has sort of the most products from a futures perspective that I've seen. So the good thing there is they have weekly futures contracts uh, on several different currencies. Um, and then I used um, uh, Bitfinex for lending data uh, because they have the deepest lending market That's and it's a peer-to-peer -peer lending market. So basically, people are transacting with each other uh, and they're just, you know, kind of meeting on Bitfinex to, to conduct the transactions. And so that those, so I connected to the API to both of their APIs. I used Python to uh, pull pull all the data and do all the data analysis. And what I actually did with all that is I implemented a back tested trading strategy based off of various uh, based off of different levels of deviation from parity. And so depending on the deviation from parity, there would be a signal to trade. And then you know I back tested different um, like laddered steps of deviation. And, you know, as you would expect, I found that the higher the deviation, the better the, 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 um, the trading strategy performed. Typically. Although so, uh, Matthew, before uh, we go more uh, into detail on how you found the deviation and all, uh, could you please throw some light on what challenges you faced uh, when it came to collecting the data, because since oh, yeah. we know that uh, the interest rate parity in the FX terms is pretty common, right? It's a regulated market and uh, standard exchanges where you can get the data from. But since crypto is a nascent market, how how did you uh, uh, like how how did that data collection process uh, go for you? What were the challenges you faced, and how uh, how how you basically uh, uh, solve the problem of getting the lending data as well, which is a bit difficult to get uh, when compared to price volume data. Yeah, no, that's and you were there. Uh, we remember. I mean, it was it was a struggle. It, I, I tried. I want to say four or five different ex exchanges. First, I I try I tried Bitfinex and no, I tried um, try Coinbase Pro. I tried. Bitfinex, OKEx was the last one that I tried. I tried FTX, was another exchange. 
I believe there was one more exchange, but I went through the API documentation and all of them and looked at, you know, I had to read through through sort of how they process their loans and borrows. And then if it's even available, like the thing about Bitfinex that I like is there's a limit order book for funding. So people actually put bids and asks out in the market to hit, you know, for funding. And so you can see actual transactions, you can see order book, order book and stuff. You can't see that on any other exchange. So what, so the, the hard part was, Hey, can we get this all in one exchange one? And then if we can't, you know, how can we sort of mix and match with different exchanges? Um, fortunately, the current, the crypto space pretty much operates on UTC time, uh, which is like a universal time. But even originally, I was looking at the CME, which is to me an extremely inefficient way <laughs> to, to hedge Bitcoin because it only trades five days a week. So you can't even hedge on that like, when it doesn't trade. So, you know, initially I was it defeats the purpose of the 24-7 aspect of the crypto yeah, market. Yeah, exactly. So I was like, is this even a usable product? And after looking, it took me probably two weeks of investigation just to finally determine, hey, I can't even use this, you know, really. Uh, but yeah, and then to find appropriate futures contracts, uh, it wasn't easy either because, you know, quarterlies have only been around for maybe a year, year and a half. So what am I going to have eight quarterly contracts? I have eight data points, <laughs> you know, it doesn't, that's not, not, it doesn't make for great research. So, uh, fortunately, so honestly, uh, fortunately what happened about probably three quarters of the way through this, I Googled interest rate parity in the crypto space. It turns out a couple researchers from Frankfurt did almost the same thing that I'm trying to do. Uh, and after a Google search, I was like, okay, these guys did something. Now, their research ended in 2019. It was published in 2020, fairly recently. So, uh, and they used uh, OKEx and um, Bitfinex. So I was on the right page with Bitfinex. The problem I, I had was finding like a steady flow of futures contracts. And so I, I, I you know, basically implemented the same, used the same sort of uh, methodology that they did and uh to measure the parity condition and get the, get the data yeah it was a struggle uh Gaurav, i mean we actually did introduce you so why don't you take a second to see where, who are you yeah thanks Rob. Uh, yeah. so uh, i'm gaurav singh uh, i'm associated with uh, quantity as a quantitative analyst and uh, being the corporate sponsor for this project, uh, I had the opportunity to work with uh, Matthew and his team uh, under the guidance of Prof Zoro. Uh, it was a great experience to say because, uh, first of all, this topic itself was very niche. Uh, when Matthew said that he Googled and he found a paper, that's fine. I mean, you, you can get a paper on anything and everything. But the idea about uh, interest rate parity in the crypto space itself is so novel. Not many people have worked on it. And even if they have worked on it, it's not in the public space. So uh, it, it was a very exciting project to work on. And uh, as Matthew earlier mentioned that uh, 
the uh, challenges posed by data collection and uh, the uh, availability of data across different exchanges. Uh, it, it was a great journey to go through that and uh, troubleshoot each problem we uh, came across. So uh, uh, that was a small bit about my experience uh, with this project. And uh, I, I, I would like uh, Matthew to maybe throw some more light on uh, how, how you uh, basically uh, solved the problem of the tenor for the forward contract and the uh, lending rate not matching because that, that was also another quantitative problem, right? So it's uh, you, you cannot do anything and everything with the data. It, it has to be backed by some quantitative logic. So how, how did you go about solving that? Yeah, so basically, so in typical uh, financial markets, tenors match, right? And in typical covered interest rate parity, the loan and the borrow and the forward contract all have the same, they all have the same tenor and they all expire at the same time. But in the crypto space, uh, there's not a real yield curve for, for borrows and loans uh, and it's very, uh, you can cancel a borrow early. You can, you know, you can do a seven day borrow and pay it back in a day, you know, it's stuff like that. So um, what I did was essentially uh, scale the borrowing rate, which is the, it's a daily rate that they give you. Uh, and the tenor of the initial tenor is two days and you can extend it or pay it back. And I basically scaled it uh, through the days remaining on the till contract maturity. So essentially you have a week long contract. I took a daily rate. And then if there's six days to maturity, I basically multiplied it by six. There's five days, I multiplied it by five. Four days, multiplied it by four. So you get it to create essentially, you know, a matching tenor. Uh, and that was kind of how I, how I, how I created the, the, uh, the right side of the financial equation, if you will, the, the parity deviate, the uh, interest rate differential side of the uh, equation. Yeah. So, so it does work then, theoretically. Uh, yeah. Reverse engineering work. Yeah, it, it does. I mean, to me, what I found, and I think the interesting kind of takeaway here for, for me is that I, there's so there is deviation from what I saw, from what I measured, from what I tested. Uh, they all had significant T stats, different from zero. Uh, now the question of whether it's a Im implementable strategy and how you would go about implementing it, and that's one thing I'm working on now, is a bit of a different question, you know, because it's. Uh, there's a lot of transaction costs that go into a strategy like this because you have two legs of every trade. It's not high frequency, but it's high enough to give you, it's high enough to eliminate your alpha for sure and even put you into negative territory. Um, so you really need like a very high sharp ratio to kind of overcome some of the transaction costs involved. Uh, the other problem is it's very difficult in practice to take advantage of the interest rate differential part of the equation. It's easy to do the basis trade, 
but it's very hard in practice because you have to hold collateral on both exchanges. And so the way, so, you know, in practice, if you're making the, the interest rate differential is a relatively small part of the return from the trading strategy. Most of it is basis convergence, but in practice, that part is really hard to take advantage of because you're dealing with two different exchanges. So like what I'm doing now, for instance, is I'm, I'm trying to build a crypto bot that looks at the signal, just like I drew it up, but then trade the basis on OKEx because the basis is tradable. And I'm sure there are people basis trading, I'm, you know, and it's a time tried and true method of making money. You're going to see convergence more often than not. It's just whether or not, you know, you can hang around when it diverges and whether or not you can beat transaction costs and that sort of thing. And so that's kind of what I'm working on now. Um, but yeah, it's definitely, definitely there. It's more, hey, how can you practically implement something that is going to make money? And Gaurav, what do you think about this implementation? I mean, you you're, you're specialize in algorithmic trading. In fact, you're going to be doing a, a speech for us at the conference pretty soon. So how does it, how do you make it fit? Uh, so uh, my take on uh, implementing any strategy, be it in the crypto space or otherwise, is uh, definitely whatever backtest results we see in uh, our Python model or whatever, it, it's not really uh, implementable in real life. Because as Matthew said, it's difficult to take the uh, uh, trades in across different exchanges. Uh, it's capital intensive. And moreover, uh, even uh, in any uh, real, real world trading uh, uh, implementation, you would find that there is an impact cost as well as there are slippages. So the it, it's like uh, uh, Heisenberg principle, right? So if you observe it, you, you don't know the momentum. And if you know the momentum, you can't observe its position. So it's something like that in finance, uh, uh, wherein it, it, you can observe it and that is fine. But the moment you start trading, you yourself are a party to the impact. And even though the underlying contracts or your assets they can be volatile and maybe you're trading with some lesser uh, 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 quantity or lesser uh, dollar value, but it, it will always have some unknown uh, factor which you cannot uh, uh, model before actual trading, right? So uh, the implementation aspect has to be uh, reinforced or I would say it has to be validated by uh, First of all, paper trading or live trading, which we can also call as walk forward testing, wherein uh, we validate whether the model is uh, working well in real time, whether all the APIs, whether all the model construct is uh, uh, fairly uh, competent to fire the trades in real time. And after this phase of walk forward testing is done and the results are validated again on paper, uh, then we can move ahead with a phased deployment, wherein we see we, we go with lesser capital and see uh, if if the uh, output is as expected. Uh, special care and consideration has to be taken in this particular crypto space because uh, 
first of all these exchanges are not regulated enough so uh, we can uh, see a drastic change in the bid ask spread suddenly we, which we cannot explain quantitatively it's just it's just there right like some exchanges uh, they they can uh, temporarily halt halt trading just because some uh, uh, technocrat has given a tweet so it, it's it's really uh, uh, these small things which can eat up your profits when we deploy it in the real world markets okay well um Matthew, anything else to add? Uh, because we could, uh, we might want to revisit this, um, you know, a couple of months when you guys are done, um, sure. and maybe you'll have more information by the time we get to the conference. So that sounds very interesting, actually. Yeah, I mean, I'm, the envelope again. Yeah, I'm using, um, I'm doing doing paper trading right now. So I guess that was what you'd call walk forward testing, um, and I'm still kind of trying to build it and make it, you know, as automated as possible, essentially. And uh, I should have some results. I guess the question that I have, you know, is how long do you, and I'll, I'll pose this one to you, Gaurav, uh, how long do you typically do walk forward testing, small capital? Because, it, you know, let's just say, uh, it's an anomaly that only lasts a few months, you know, and you take three months to test it and then it's gone. <laughs> I, I agree with you on that uh, aspect, Matthew, that whenever we try to uh, uh, capitalize on a particular anomalous condition, it, 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 it will not last long because there are various other market participants who are competing against us uh, to uh, tap that particular opportunity. But, uh, uh, when it comes to walk forward testing or maybe uh, uh, phased deployment with less capital, uh, I would say there is no uh, rule of thumb on how, how long to do it. Uh, first of all, there are, uh, I mean, uh, you, you can take it as a, a pseudo framework uh, wherein uh, when you are quite convinced that your backtesting was uh, done in a proper manner by by proper manner, I mean, there was no data leakage, there was no forward bias, uh, all the timestamps for different exchanges, which you had taken for the data, they're aligned. If all these things are already taken care of in the backtesting uh, phase, then you, you have a certain degree of confidence that uh, whatever strategy which I'm about to deploy, it is backed by some historical uh, precedence. Definitely, no one... Uh, in the market today can say for sure that if it worked in backtesting, it will definitely work in live trading. That there is no one uh, who can take a guarantee for that. But it's just a, uh, I would say, self-precaution we traders take uh, to uh, basically trust the system. Uh, and uh, by trusting the system, you have to let it run a bit. Uh, so say, for example, you uh, deploy it for only five days uh, uh, for the walk forward testing and say for instance if the market conditions were such that it did not perform well uh, and after five days you pull the plug on your uh, walk forward testing that that is a very small time frame wherein you don't allow the system to run it, it had a bad time and you you didn't trust your own algorithm uh, so 
uh, ideally what you what you should see is that uh, there are two or three scenarios where your strategy would perform well like for in this uh, in this particular case we have the backwardation and contagno uh, situations wherein we are taking different trades so say for instance we are deploying it for 10 days and in those 10 days we try to see what what was the percentage of the time it was in scenario 1 and in scenario 2 and if they are fairly equitable we can say that okay this 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 is a sample of what we'll be seeing in the live markets and that is how uh, uh, you as a quantitative trader can take a call okay fine my walk forward testing is done i'll now deploy it in the live market definitely you 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 cannot go on extending it okay i'll i'll do it for 3 months there is no rule of thumb if you do it for 3 months by the time you deploy it as you said the market opportunity itself will be lost <laughs> many people will be seeing the uh, webinar <laughs> or, uh, the mfe conference in november they'll be tapping yeah. it in, into your idea and then they'll be deploying hey. it by the time you are done there you go. hey <laughs> you know i'm saying for why conference that's yeah. it <laughs> I can't even trade it. It's outside the U.S., so I, I can only paper trade anywhere. So feel free. Great. <laughs> Tell you. Okay, guys. Uh, thank you very much for your time, Matthew. Yep. Uh, see you soon. See you at the conference again. And um, thanks for your time, uh, Gaurav, as usual. Thank you, Prof. It was wonderful to interact with all of you today. Thank you for your time. Thanks. Okay. Thanks, guys. Bye. Take care.